Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg, and Carmen's plugging herself in. <laughs> we're having, can you guys hear me? Yes. All right, we're having some technical difficulties right now. But we're Hi. working it out. All right, welcome to We Dig Plants. <laughs> Heritage Radio Heritage Network. Heritage Radio Network, we where we, we bring the culture to horticulture. <laughs> so um, let me begin the show by thanking all of our Facebook fans. We got close to 30 new Facebook fans. I saw that. Which was really great. In the past two weeks, that's because I begged you all last time. I said, because I was on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I I gave out bribes, Alice, while you were gone. I said, either you guys... I'm no longer part of the company. (laughs) I I sent them meat, and they they decided. So it was really great. So we're we're coming to the close. uh, We're coming close to the start of another gardening season. It's just a couple weeks away. And we're going to be out there doing all the work that we love, working with the talented and, and passionate gardeners that are part of our team. And uh, one of the many things that we've sort of learned in the 20 years of making gardens, both public and private, is it, it is about the people, the people that you work with every day that, that make the work worthwhile. And the Absolutely. Pe- and the people that you work for, you know. Um, so it's physically demanding work. You're not going to get rich doing it. Why do people choose this profession? I remember Tony Smith used to always say, our old boss used to always say, you got to want to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And our next guest makes us want to get out of bed in the morning. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, So Alice and I worked both in the public garden sphere and in the private and they're very different worlds. Um, so we thought we would open up the discussion to more than just our own experience and get input from two people that we think can bring a lot to the discussion. Our first guest, as Alice said, has worked with us now four seasons and is our amazing head gardener and knows a lot about the challenges and pleasures of building and maintaining gardens for New Yorkers. Allie Fox joins us in the studio today. Welcome, Allie. Hey. Thanks. <laughs> and Hi. she is a fox. I will say that. <laughs> Foxy. Um, and representing the public garden side is Rhonda Brand, who works closely with Lyndon Miller, who's a preeminent public garden designer. Um, she's been on the show as well recently. Just a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, she works with <coughs> Lyndon on designing public spaces from New York to Richmond. She's joining us today via telephone from Oklahoma. Welcome, Rhonda. Hi. 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 Great to be here. So um, let's start with you, Allie. Okay. We know your story, mm-hmm. but we want our listeners to si- kind of hear how you ended up working in the urban garden sphere. Okay. Well, uh, 
Where were you born? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was born in Glamorous, Pennsylvania, (laughs) which is actually a great place to be from and is a great place to be in plants. Yeah, it's like Um, the basket of horticulture. Exactly. Um, But I came into urban gardening by way of my stomach. I started in agriculture because I really like to eat and I felt that I should know... (laughs) how to grow the things that I was eating. Uh-huh. And so after I graduated from college, I went to college in Vermont, which also has a very strong uh, agriculture agriculture yeah. and uh, forestry. It's a beautiful place. Really, really beautiful. And uh, so anyway, I graduated from there, and I got a job working for the Chicago Botanic Gardens on an urban agriculture project. So I... Uh, Sorry, something just flew into my face. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I started working in urban agriculture rather than horticulture. And I was in Chicago for six months. I loved it. Um, The farm was in West Chicago. It was like a quarter acre plot. And we grew over a thousand tons of food. That's Um, impressive. Yeah, yeah, for such a small space. Um, But we had a really great team. And we worked with 15 high school kids who were super dedicated and made it happen. And High then, school kids, wow. Yes, I know. It's hard to get great. them to do anything. They were into it. And um, it was a really, really cool experience. And then I moved to New York, and I couldn't find a way to do what I did in Chicago. And a friend of mine was doing private gardening, and I kind of followed suit. And um, that's how I got here. And it's been great. Yeah, um, it was it was your friend Dan yes. who was a gardener um, of ours, and yes. he was leaving to go back to Vermont right. for his PhD program. Yeah, and said like, "You have to meet my friend Allie. I think she would be a great fit." And what four years, five years, mm-hmm. you've been working for us yeah. now, and um, Allie runs. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Allie's day with us in New York City. Very quickly, it starts off around seven thirty, eight o'clock. She emails all the gardeners, tells them where to be. Then she goes to our lot in Gowanus, which is not pretty, and loads up the van and then drives the van into the city and then deals with issues of parking and tickets and being at the right client's house at the right time. And the super who's super. And the super who's not super. (laughs) And the schlepping of all of the plants, meeting our trucker, unloading a truck, Hauling plants up, you know, 8, 15 flights, it depends on the site that day. Mm-hmm. And then overseeing the crew so that the work gets done in a orderly manner, which and is a really... A clean manner. A clean manner. Really important mm-hmm. and, then, and then she has to undo everything that she's just done and load the truck back up, drive back to Brooklyn, unload, pack up, get ready for the next day. So it's, it's long, long hours. Yeah, it doesn't always feel like it, though. Well, that's because of your demeanor, which is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you well, let's much. let's get Rhonda in uh, yeah. in the mix too. Rhonda, you you work mostly in the in the public garden sphere, um, and you've mm-hmm. um, you've done you've had quite a bit of training um, as a designer. What what inspired you to to choose the public versus the private segment of the of the business? Well, you know, I had quite a different path from alleys into gardening and horticulture. I had been working for decades in art management. I had a lot of interesting jobs, but I really wanted a, a career change at a certain point. And I had um, 
been interested in gardening through having my own garden at my home. So I started taking some classes in design at the Landscape Institute at Harvard, and I loved the design classes. But I quickly realized that my spotty experience in my home garden wasn't going to be sufficient to really understand plants and horticulture and to design gardens and landscapes. So I applied to the uh, New York Botanical Garden School of Professional Horticulture, which is a really intense two-year program in horticulture. Yeah, I got in. I had been living in Boston at the time. I quit my job. I moved to New York, and I enrolled in the program. I graduated a couple years later, and part of that experience was an internship with Lyndon Miller. And, uh, you know, what better way to learn about public gardening and horticulture than to work with, with Lyndon Miller? So that was an incredible experience. But I had been interested in public horticulture even um, before meeting Lyndon. And uh, when I lived in Boston, it just I had a real affinity for it. And I was very interested in how people in urban environments uh, interact with nature and react to landscapes. And so even before I had read Olmsted or... Um, or Lyndon Miller on this subject, you know, and many other people <laughs> yeah. who write eloquently about the value of public horticulture and urban life. Um, I was really interested in that uh, that interaction. Well, Lyndon has been an incredible influence on how people think about uh, public parks and gardens, like what people expect from their public outdoor spaces. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's changed, I think, a lot of people's minds about what what we deserve and what we should have. Um, how do you yeah. how do you think uh, public garden design has changed s- since you began your career? Well, you know, I think that in the last several years, there's been a real interest in greening our cities. You know, the green movement and a huge interest in urban agriculture. So that's yes. been kind of a recent change that we've seen. So on one hand, I think people are even more aware of the green spaces or the lack of green spaces in their neighborhoods. Um, but on the other hand, I think recently we've seen that, you know, financially um, the park system has been hard hit and uh, the lack of money for maintenance and sometimes, you know, the lack of general understanding of the importance of maintenance. And I think that's something that really in the last several years um, I've seen that go downhill, um, even to the, in the sense that acknowledging that we need skilled people who can do the maintenance in our parks? So, oh, bless I think you for saying that, Rhonda. <laughs> the creation of these parks and these beautiful, amazing yeah. spaces yeah. that should be as beautiful as what we can have in our, you know, private homes. But then, really having the commitment to maintain those beyond that, um, you know, that that still is really a, a suffering area of public horticulture. I think I agree, and, and I'm really glad that you mentioned having skilled people um, because Allie here. Um, does it every day, you know, for on the yeah. private side. I want I want Allie to tell to talk a little bit about like what you were saying, Rhonda, the the scale that you work at at your private residence for your own home is so different mm-hmm. from working professionally and in the public sphere. Allie, can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about what does it take to do this work? What what sure. what should people think about before they consider this profession? Well, Something that transfers, I think, both public and private is that you really have to want to do it. Like, it's not something you can half-ass because you are constantly keeping an eye on things, noticing how things change. Like, plants are so sensitive. At the same time, they can also be super durable, but, you know, 
you have to be on top of it. Um, you have to like to get dirty. Gardening mm-hmm. is not glamorous. Clean. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I think people often have this like really cute idea of like gardeners and sun hats and like wearing their little aprons. And, and yes, yeah, some people crocs and right. right. And of course, some people do that, but on a larger scale, it it is dirty work. But I love yeah. that. I mm-hmm. like using my hands you have to like to use your hands you have to like the elements you're going to be out in the sun you're going to be in the rain you're going to be seeing how those things affect what you're working with at all times yeah um you have to be flexible because plants react to everything so you have to be able to fix a situation at any time i mean i know it's not rocket science i don't mean to make it sound like that but you do have to be willing to get into weird situations with plants. Um, and I think you have to be patient. Yes. Yeah. Because a garden is a that. process. Absolutely. Uh, you know, plants go through processes. They have uh, seasonal lifespans. They have life cycles. You know, some plants are biannual. You know, there's plants are so cool because they are all so different. And you have to be able to take the time to appreciate that, to appreciate what you do. Mm-hmm. And I, you have to let go, I think, a little bit of control. Yeah. You know, because Mother Nature's in charge. Wouldn't you totally. agree, Rhonda? If it, it's not for those who want to control everything. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are out of, um, out of our hands. Well, we have to take a little bit of a break. Um, we're reaching about the half point mark, right? We'll be right back. Listen to <laughs> We Dig Plants. Don't go in for understanding when you are awake. Can't use my heart to think You're listening to Josephine by the Hollows on the Heritage Radio Network.org. I will relate you and tie your finger right on up to mine. Sweet Josephine, you live in my dream. Sleep right by my side. I bid you well forever, my veil. always be my bride. is a virtue that I practice all the time. I can't prepare my heart for joy sublime. In my room I will attend you and my heart it will defend you. Broken records keeping perfect time. Sweet Josephine, you live in my dream. Sleep right by my side. I bid you well forever my bell to always be my bride. Consolation, never second best I'll practice till I get you right, my dear So know that I will love you And my heart sings high above you Takes away the doubt I have of fear Sweet Josephine, you live in my dream Ranch grass-fed beef Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. Hi, welcome back to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking about the gardening life in the urban setting with Allie Fox, our amazing head gardener. 
Um, and Rhonda Brand calling in from Oklahoma who works with Lyndon Miller creating um, and building amazing landscapes in the public sphere. So Rhonda, let's talk a little bit about the challenges that you see um, in, in your work when, you, when you're designing or rebuilding a public garden. What, do you ever meet with a strong public opposition or you know, resistance? Well, I, I haven't met with strong public opposition to the general idea of creating the gardens in, in these public spaces, but people um, in their neighborhoods are very protective of their uh, their green space, and I think that's a wonderful thing because it shows that they have a sense of ownership of it, but in that sense, I think you have to try to really communicate well what you're going to do in a public space because otherwise, you know, people might feel like chaining themselves to their favorite, you know, shrub or tree because they don't want to see any changes made in that yeah. space and so it's important to bring the neighborhood along with you uh, and really communicate with them about what the vision is for that space and how it's really being done for them and I think that if people can you know get the sense that this project is being done so that they have a beautiful space to come to and to enjoy and that their needs are being heard and that they're listened to as part of the process then I think that goes a long way to um, mitigating that kind of opposition. But, you know, when you ask me about challenges, I was thinking we were talking about patience before, yes, patience yes, with plants and yeah. gardening. But in the public sphere, one, one difference there is that you do have to create immediate impact in these spaces because, you know, particularly in New York, not only are neighbors, people in the neighborhood using those spaces all the time, but you have tourists coming through as well. And you can't plant really far apart, tiny little plants, and expect, oh, in three or five years, that's going to look great. <laughs> come back, yes. you know, come, come back from your, you know, from Europe and see this again in three or five years. You really have to, you know, it needs to look good the day you put it in. And so in that sense, you want to practice really good horticulture, but you have to kind of balance that with a sense of show and display. And that can be hard because, you know, gardeners who are really well-trained horticulturists, they want to take care of those plants in a specific manner um and you know i want to too but we also have to balance that out with a a kind of a a certain show and uh immediate impact in those spaces Mm -hmm. so that's a that's a bit of a challenge in public horticulture yeah and you know it is a challenge sometimes in private horticulture too because some clients Mm -hmm. they don't understand you know i try to give (laughs) them the old line you know first year sleep second year creep third year leap but they're not buying it yeah, no, they're that's, like, that's true. they're like this, this road, this like, this pot of dirt is going to be what yeah. you know? I want it to look like Hollywood now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, one of two of the gardens that I can think of now that I that uh, I saw them when they were recently installed was Washington Square Park, mm-hmm. yeah. which I thought mm-hmm. looked immediately beautiful. Yeah. And another example I thought that was great, we were, Alice and I were just talking about it earlier today, was the High Line. Yeah, pretty much as soon as it got. Uh, installed it looked amazing and it brought and mm-hmm. you know and and it was a challenge because the kinds of plants that they were using there weren't necessarily the kinds of things that people were used to seeing in public yeah. places you know right so they did right. it, i thought they did um a good job of balancing good horticulture i think with the immediate impact mm-hmm. that's necessary yeah yeah definitely i think that's true too and you know when you have that many people in these public spaces um, obviously, people are present a challenge, and yet they're the re- very reason you're creating these spaces. So, you know, this is sort of that that balancing act between those things. Uh, you just got the sheer numbers of people that you have to deal with, and and in that way, I think the design of the hardscape is really important because 
a lot of times, one of one of the challenges that I face is I go into a public space that has already been, the hardscape's already designed, it's there, and you can't change it. That's hard, it I know. it may not yeah. be designed in a way that is really conducive to growing the kinds of plants that people want to grow there, whether, um, for example, you know, raising beds to help... Uh, keep the dogs out of the beds and uh, you know there's just so many things you can do with hardscape to try to make a better environment for plant life in a, in a public arena so give us an example Rhonda of one of the biggest challenges you've had mm-hmm. uh, in in keeping a garden looking good after it was installed so what what um, what kind of challenge did you have afterwards to get everybody on board to care for it um, well, you know, I one example comes to mind, and I don't actually want to name the garden because we're in the midst of the challenge right now. That's but fine. <laughs> I know I share, I share this challenge. We share this challenge with so many other public spaces is that um, the, the rat problem in New York, uh, <laughs> that, that can be tough in our public yeah. parks. Um, you know, and I know that people work so hard to do things to combat that, but that, you know, that really can um, present a, a big obstacle to keeping the plants alive and to being able to work in this space. But People need to be able to use their parks and eat in their parks, and in that sense, we have to have plenty of garbage cans and yes. regular garbage pickup, mm-hmm. and and you know think about where the benches are and where those garbage cans are in relation to them. There are a lot of things that don't have to do with plants that designers need to think about um, in those spaces to be sure that it can be really utilized by large numbers of people every day. Yeah, and some of the parks, I mean, it probably a place like Bryant Park and the Highland, they probably annualized go into the millions, right, mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. usage. Right, right. So, yeah. well, let's talk a little bit about, um, I'll have Allie go first, um, about training, because you, you touched on this, Rhonda, a little bit, um, having skilled people, right? There's a lot of different ways to learn um, how to deal with plants, formal, you know, training, horticultural degrees versus on-the-job training. Ali, from your experience, what do, you, what do you think is gained from each experience? Um, well, I, when I started gardening, I was learning as I went, and then I reinforced that with formal training. I got certified in horticulture through the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, and I think both of them are extremely valuable. Um, I think, you know, Books are so great. They are references. You can always have them in a pinch to look up. But I think that anything that... um, Hands-on. I think hands-on really reinforces all of that. Um, That's what nails it in. You know, you can can learn things, you can read things, but it's not going to really become ingrained until you apply it. However, I would like to note that... Can I just talk about a little pet peeve of mine, though? Yes. In terms of the formal training. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> is when someone, you know, with, I think, good intentions, reads something about plants or comes across something on the Internet, an article or something, and then they think that that is infallible. And yeah. that's where I think that the, the hands-on training is super important because, yes, that might be a great idea in theory and that, you know, it's not going to be true until you practice it. And I think that to become the best gardener that you can be, you do need both. I couldn't agree more. Rhonda, what's your take on it? What you've had you've had a lot of formal training and you've also obviously been in the field a lot. Um, what what's your take on the formal versus the on the job kind of experiences? 
Well, I definitely agree with Allie that both of them are really important. I mean, one really can't replace the other. Uh, but I do think that it's important to know what you don't know. You know, for yes. me, I uh, the formal training enabled me to make a big career change. So that was wonderful. Uh, but, you know, you might be better at horticulture or better at design or better at gardening or better at hardscape planning. And whatever aspect of it that you don't know would be an area that, Either you need to get formal training in mm-hmm. or get on-the-job experience in. You know, either of those can work in that circumstance. Or perhaps partner with someone who has those skills yeah. that you don't have. And I think that that's the most important thing about the training because if you look at a lot of the landscape design and landscape architecture programs, they tend not to have very much horticulture training in them. I would love to see that change over time. I think it would be great if those programs had um, a, a more robust horticulture component, but you know you can only fit so much into these individual programs. And so I think it's you know balancing out the different aspects of where your skills lie and where you might need to get some additional training. I, I love the way that you started that 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 answer off, Rhonda, in saying you don't know everything. Like, and that's what I, and know what you don't know. And know what yeah. you don't know. That's really important. I, I think that's and and I, I think just as a trait. No one can know everything. You know what I mean? And right. everybody can. Right. The, the thing is, in some of the other professions, you know, people build themselves up as being experts. And I think in horticulture, because it's nature, you can't really mm-hmm. ever be an expert. Right. Because there's always going to be some indescribable situation that happens because of Mother Nature. I mean, look at what happened last year. The boxwood blight. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And yep. the, uh, the citrus yep. situation. And the impatience. Right. An entire massive crop mm-hmm. has basically been wiped out mm-hmm. by a disease that no one knows how to treat at this point. Um, and it's kind of an opportunity in a way, an opportunity yeah. to think about using something that isn't so water intensive, that isn't so monoculture-like. So, you mm-hmm. know, we get thrown these curveballs that right, I think right. challenge us, and I think... And it's idiosyncratic, like, yeah. you know? And look at the citrus yeah. situation, the bug, you know, the pest situation, and now the, you know, it's affecting the world economy of orange juice now. Yeah, know? I mean, just when you think yeah. you know something, it, it, right. it changes, and it's kind of interesting. We're, we're always challenged, you know? Um, every day. <laughs> Can I also interject? I, you know, yes. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. Re- oh, go that ahead, reminds Mama. me of uh, one of the best places to get um, additional knowledge and training is really from our fellow horticulturists and gardeners because yeah. Yeah. that's where I have learned so much and I continue to learn all the time. This great community of gardeners that we have in the New York City area and in many other areas too. What a wonderful way to continue to learn. And the nursery, you know, mm-hmm. the nurseries. The nursery, yeah. the nursery yeah. people are underutilized, I think, yeah. as a resource. Yeah. Allie, mm-hmm. did you want to add something? Yeah, I was just going to say um, what we're talking about right now is one of the reasons that I really love doing this professionally is that you're constantly learning. That's something that you have to want to do. You have to be open to that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I just think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that's great that whether or not yep. you're actively seeking new knowledge, you're constantly taking it in. And I just—it's great. Yeah, yeah, you do have to be open to learning. Um, so I want to—we're coming to the end. I, I want to end the show on a kind of um, a little bit sentimental note because that's that's kind of how I am. <laughs> um, big softy. I'm a little big. I'm a softy. Um, I want to ask each of you to sort of share an experience um, in the field or on the job that sort of changed you or or made you grow as a gardener and perhaps even as a person. Allie, why don't you go first? Um, 
Well, actually, it, this is an experience that I didn't have either on the job or in the field. This is something <laughs> that happened um, one time when I was traveling. I studied abroad in Japan, and I spent a lot of time walking around the city, and they have amazing gardens sprinkled throughout the city and that was like the first time that I really experienced the feeling of sanctuary and realizing that plants are something that can create that and so you know oftentimes when we will make gardens on rooftops and terraces and little side pockets of New York City I I get to experience that again Mm -hmm. and I think that you know that that's my sentimental note is that I get to re-experience that feeling all that's the time. lovely that's a really and who better than to learn from the Japanese right, right. <laughs> um, so Rhonda tell us uh, if you don't mind sharing a personal anecdote of yours sure yeah I I'm thinking of when I did my internship at the conservatory garden I did part of my internship uh, with Lyndon and I also worked as a gardener at the conservatory garden for a short time with Diane Schaub and Working in that garden, you're stopped constantly by people who are thanking you. Uh, you know, I, I would be you know, planting, and people would walk by and thank me all the time, all day long, for what I was doing. And it was really an amazing experience to me because I, I thought, wow, you know, this, I'm doing this for, for those people, and I can feel that every day. I can see their appreciation and, and their love of nature and it's so inspiring. So I think I look back at that during my internship experience, and it reminds me all the time of why I'm doing this and and how people really, really uh, appreciate and love these public spaces so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a really great note to end on. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Rhonda, thank you so much for, jo- for joining us remotely from Oklahoma and taking the time oh, out. Thank you for uh, having me. It's been such fun. Great. Good. And yeah. Allie, thanks for coming in. Hey, guys, thank you. This <laughs> is great. On your day off. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. This show will be available for listening via archive at heritageradionetwork.org and also via podcast on iTunes. Please visit our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc., We Dig Plants, for information on upcoming shows, special events, Events and horticultural news. Thank you to Jack Inslee for producing and to Joji for engineering our show. See you in the garden. Happy gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>